0: Hey folks, and welcome to Marginally Geek. I'm Luke, and I'm pleased to meet you. I can say that because this is our first episode. I mean, it's the first we released, we've recorded the first few already and they're going to be released a little bit out of order from how we interviewed, but I'm sure you'll catch on to that. As our first episode, I guess that I should sort of start out with who we are. Um, so what's Marginally Geek? It's a podcast dedicated to showing the diversity that has always, I think, been the cornerstone of the geek community. And we're going to do that by focusing on individual experiences. Each month, we'll be interviewing someone new about their life as a geek, their thoughts about fandom, and generally all the odd things that interest them and make them tick. And while anyone's welcome to listen to this podcast, and we hope that you do, we'll be prioritizing the voices of women, people of color, people on the LGBTQIA spectrum, people with disabilities, the neurodivergent community, and our elders. I am absolutely certain certain that we've left somebody out of that list. But one, if we have, please hit us up on our website. Two, I mean, that's part of what we're doing. Like, I don't promise to be perfect, I don't promise to be the perfect host, but we're trying to include all the people who don't get represented. So, how does that work in practice? Like I said, I'm not perfect. What I do is that when people approach me about being on the show, I have them fill out a questionnaire. And that questionnaire's got eight questions. Um one, name. What's your name? Two, your preferred name. What would you like me to call you if you if that's different? Three, pronouns, so I can be real correct around that. Four, how you identify. And these are all open-ended questions, right? They can put anything on there that they want. Five, fandoms slash geek-associated interests. Uh, Six, things that they feel really passionate about. Seven, works that they'd like to have plugged. Eight, where can people find them online? So if they're like a big name in the geek community, if they don't want some traffic driven to their stuff, that's, that's one thing, but it's not necessarily always going to be the case. So that's intended to give people a chance to self-identify and choose what they want to talk about. Um, My job as host is really just to keep it interesting, make interesting mistakes, get called out in interesting ways, Um, maybe make a joke that is actually funny once in a while. I try. Now for our first episode, I invited a friend of mine, Leela, to come talk. Um, you can find her full bio on our website, and that's marginallygeek at tumblr.com. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, but she also introduces herself here. So I'm just going to let her do the talking. Uh, keep in mind, folks, that was, re- this was recorded in late summer. So there's some cicadas in the background. Apologize for that. Won't happen again, again, after we get past the ones where there are cicadas in the background. Uh, yeah. Take it away, Leela
1: okay hi everybody listening uh my name's is uh Luke very graciously invited me to take part in this podcast uh, a little bit about me I guess um uh, so I've been in Chicago almost two years now in September on September 1st it'll be two years so and I uh I have, like, a theater background, I guess, but I, I work in social justice consulting now, which is wildly different and much more fulfilling to me as a human being. Um, I'm biracial. My mom is white. My dad is Indian. Uh, a lot of people confuse my ethnic ambiguity for various other nationalities, races, and ethnicities, which is fine. I, I've made my peace with it. Um,
0: That's fine, and I've made my peace with it are not the same statements. <laughs>
1: Well, oh, yeah. Way to, like, cut right into it. (laughs) Right in the intro when I'm still trying to figure out how to
0: talk into this microphone. (laughs) Just talk to me. Just talk to me around the
1: microphone. Um, yeah. And I I mean, I'm thrilled to be on the podcast. I'm very excited to talk about, you know, various nerdy things, geeky things, um... I don't even know that I necessarily fit the qualifications for a geek, so I'm very excited to see where our conversation goes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so one of the things that I'm trying to do is be is be open minded about mm-hmm. like what geekiness is.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I'm like a little confused. Um, so, like, I like a lot of I'm very comfortable with like what I believe is the, like, colloquial definition of, like, nerdiness in American popular culture. Right. But, like, I think because I don't have really any interest in, like, video games or, um... Like, fan fiction or, uh, you know, like, the the sort of, like, more centralized fandom community and, like, Tumblr. Like, I'm very much not a part of any particular, like, online presence for, like, a particular thing. I just like things and, like, read obsessively about them, but I don't talk to other people about them. I'm just, like, you know, like, lurking on something something's wiki for, like, hours, right? (laughs) Which is... (laughs) Which I'm comfortable qualifying as nerdiness, but I feel like the community aspect really like elevates it to like geekery. This sounds so silly. This is like my own personal, like weird barriers and mental boxes.
0: Well, I mean, everybody, I I think that, I think the part of the interesting thing about like the difference between geek and nerd and such is very much that people have different Understandings yeah. of what that's going to be, mm-hmm. um, and that that they draw those lines in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, the old school, def- the definition I was like introduced to to start out with was that geeks were like, I think what we'd call fandom now, like they were super yeah. into like fantasy or sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, nerd's <laughs> were like. Deeply into math and science and computers. Okay.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: And then, I didn't. I didn't really find anybody who identified happily and strongly as a dork. But dork was always like the third part of that tri- triumphant to
1: me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, i i definitely called myself a dork before, but it feels much more like derisive, like, right? Like oh, almost so derogatory. Dorky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I um... think.
0: I think that there was a time when geek and nerd were both pretty derisive as well.
1: Oh, I, yeah, absolutely, and, like, coming from a small town, I think that's still something that in a lot of places that aren't, like, you know, more more centered on, like, urban like populations and things like that, like, uh-huh. like I think we forget sometimes that, like, being in a big city or, like, being, like, coastal folks, right, and, like, LA and New York, like, the way that things are there it's much slower in like the middle of the country like very small town Ohio like you are still celebrated for being a football star if you can if you can make it that way right um, right but I think I, I saw something recently that like weirdness has made major inroads since the 1980s I'm gonna it's probably definitely something I was reading about stranger things <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, but, yeah, I think that it is a lot easier for people who have, quote-unquote, nerdy or geeky interests to, like, you know, participate in the mainstream now. Because a lot of that is mainstream.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I feel... I was talking... I only remember who I was talking... Was, this was, like, in college. Mm-hmm. We were talking about the communities we make and, like, specifically, like, subculture communities. Oh, yeah. And how part of having a subculture community is being, is being niche, is being looked down on by, mm-hmm. like, the main society. Yeah. Um, and the person I was talking to, and I want to say it was one of my academic advisors, um, shout out to you if you're listening to this. And remember <laughs> who I am. Um, but their point was that geeks are no longer like a minority that's looked down on to the same degree but mm-hmm. in order to have that feeling of subculture they have to keep that feeling of being like bashed on yeah and so that's where you get a lot of the like the geek consciousness everybody picks on me we don't nobody likes geeks or video sure. games
1: yeah um I mean, and I think that's why this podcast is important, because I feel like a lot of that mentality actually comes from, like, that sort of super exclusive straight white male geek culture, Mm -hmm. where as soon as something enters into, like, the main consciousness, right, like there has to be some way to critique it and mean like, oh, you don't really understand it or it's not really that good. Or like, Uh that's sort of like, that's a frustration I had like with my friends in high school and everything. Um, I don't know. I just I feel like that's that's such a like special snowflake mentality in a lot of ways cuz there like subculture is always going to exist. Like right. there are always going to be things that are not going to be accepted by the mainstream and that for can, can flourish and be celebrated in like smaller like you know more isolated pockets of society, which I think is great. I think you have to have outliers in order to have the whole. Um but if some, if Just because somebody likes something and, like, they don't look like you doesn't mean that that thing suddenly loses the value that you thought it had before. Right. And I feel, like, so many times that, like, s- that straight white males feel, like, very... Possessive of of certain things, and so like as soon as somebody else expresses an interest in it, they have they have to build barriers in order to make it unaccessible again, in order to keep it special. Sure. Which is just so silly. Are you yeah. thinking of
0: like an example? It sounds like you might have examples.
1: Oh, sure. oh my god! Look. <laughs> I mean, like, this isn't a personal example for me, but, like, I think a really good, easy one is, like, anytime like, a woman or, like, a person of color walks into a comic book store, mm-hmm. like a certain kind of comic book store, right? Like, there are definitely awesome ones. Um, like, I've heard great things about Alley Cat Comics up by where I work in Andersonville. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to you, Internet. Um, yeah. Don't use that for bad. Uh, but But, yeah, there are those, like, exclusive spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Or, like, when I was growing up and expressed an interest in something um, like a like a meme or whatever like if it wasn't a joke generated by one of the guys in the group or like you know like the or like a, or a particular subject like if i raised like a movie or like a pop culture reference that i really liked like it had less value because it was like oh like you don't really get it, you know,
0: like right. you're
1: just copying what we, the superior people are doing, which makes me sound like I have such a massive chip on my shoulder. But I think it actually, it's a pattern that a lot of people can recognize. Um, yeah. And like, and you don't want to participate, right? When you feel like if you open your mouth, you're going to get it wrong. Um, and so I think a lot of, there's a lot of that fear um, for people that, that might identify in some ways right with a subculture um or like are a subgroup um and and want to be a part of something because they also feel outside but they have to stay outside of this particular kind of group like like geekdom mm-hmm. because that's how like i don't know like somebody like the majority of 4chan right yeah. <laughs> continues to feel special is like so that they can be isolated in like in ignorance i don't know i'm like really circling around something bizarre and not articulate here but I think it's like, it's it's hard for me to come on this podcast and be like, I'm a geek because there are, you know, infinite ways that like the way that geek culture is built up for somebody to be like, you're not a geek because X Z. Right,
0: yeah. right. And that's a very good articulation of why we're here today. <laughs> um, but no, I think that that's, I think that's completely legit and there is a lot of, um, Wall building to use your to use your metaphor around the things that you like. I mean, the example, the big cultural example, the one that's made it to Bob's Burgers, is
1: <laughs> oh <the> brownies, brownies, <laughs> that yeah. Episode was incredible. <laughs>
0: that was so yeah. yeah, I just saw that episode for the first time, and mm-hmm. I was just like, mm-hmm. this sounds right. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, it's a perfect example. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: of like something that young girls like. And was made specifically for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's been sort of co-opted and closed down.
1: Yeah, that's um, totally true. Yeah,
0: to keep them out.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And skewered perfectly by
0: right, 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 right. Wonderful
1: right. television. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I need to watch more. I need to watch All of Pops Burgers. Oh, about, I'm like three seasons in. Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: Just get ready.
0: Yeah, it yeah. does
1: not get bad ever. It stays good.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah, that's pretty high it's like praise. Like season
1: six. I just finished season six yesterday. Actually, I like marathoned it, and it was perfect. Yeah.
0: <laughs> perfect and good. Um, but no, I think we were talking about we were talking you we were talking about mm-hmm. like how you feel about connecting to geekdom and why there's all these reasons that you can't call yourself a geek. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. Give, give me some reasons that you might. Like, things that you like, things that you care about.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I come from a strong tradition of, like, you know, extremely nerdy, geeky women, right? Like, my mom was, like, posted up in her bedroom in the 60s teaching herself elvish. So, like, my lineage is strong. <laughs> 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 she still knows like a disturbing amount. She can like recite Tolkien's poetry to you, which I think is badass. That's right? fucking amazing. Yeah, because yeah. like that was like it's carried on in a very strong way through the the women in my family, right? Because there's me and my sister and my mom, um, and so like we have this closeness around around that aspect of our lives. Like when I was little, like you know, like maybe a uh, family would be watching. Uh, I don't know, like. Uh, friends or another sitcom i or like i don't know what are some other sitcoms uh. you know something something in like prime time and like my mom was like Ooh, farscape is on so <laughs> 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 so a lot of what i grew up around i feel like kind of informed my interests and um i mean i think the closest way i identify with it is like one of the one of the things that i put on like because like you had us uh fill out that form with, like, our top, our, like, interests and, like, fandoms and things. Right. Um, and one of the series or or interests that I put on there was, um, a particular fantasy series that I loved when I was little, uh, the Old Kingdom trilogy, which you should totally read if you haven't. But, like, fantasy trilogies like that, there was, um, uh, like, the His Dark Materials series, obviously, Mm -hmm. like, the classics, right, except for the, um the C.S. Lewis books which I didn't care about because I was raised in a family of atheists and my mom was like why should you care about those and I was like you're right we don't believe in God (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah they didn't captivate me as much but like Lord of the Rings and everything like all of those series and like that sort of wealth of like novels and like rich fantasy life that was available to me as like a strange child in small town Ohio um I think is really informed who I am today and like and part of the reason I do identify with everything that you're talking about on this podcast because I think it, it intersects really well right to be like this weird ethnically ambiguous kid who not only doesn't fit the like archetypical like beauty standards of like of, of rural midwestern you know towns but like is smart and is you know, it, like like they're a fucking weirdo. Um, are we allowed to swear on your podcast? We are now. Oh, okay, great. Um, ice is broken. Um, <laughs> but that 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 sort of a marginalized identity fits so well with like a rich fantasy life that you can build in your imagination through these incredible texts and like and subcultures and fandoms, right? Like those two things, they should they should never have been mutually exclusive, right? They shouldn't have been like the denizens of like of straight white men. Like, I don't understand why. Like, there wasn't more, you know, Octavia Butler and, like, Ursula Le Guin, all that, like, all that stuff. Like, that should, that should always be the way it is, in my mind, because... That's helped me so much, and like, and it was such like a bolstering thing, right? Like, even in like the second grade, right, when somebody was making fun of me, like, I could just pretend that I was a wizard, and like, if I, if you know, wizardry was real, and like, I could do it, which like maybe it is, you know, the, the hope never dies that-, um, that the Hogwarts letter is coming, but like then I could, you know, like cast a spell on them, like it made me feel so much better. Um, so I think that's that's why I identify so strongly with it in a lot of ways. Uh, it's just that ability to to connect these incredible stories Mm -hmm. and these characters that are really progressive and cool. Um, And like now in my work in social justice based consulting and like the, the company that I work for, you can still see so many inroads between um, like a strong protagonist, like in the Abhorsen series or something like attack the block um, that I also mentioned on here, which Podcast listeners, if you have not seen Attack the Block.
0: Like, I haven't seen it.
1: Oh my god. Okay. You <laughs> have to watch it. Um, but like it's just it it all intersects so easily. And mm-hmm. so like having these like it just it's like a natural point that all of my my interests have come to mm-hmm. um is is this kind of like, you know, obsessive interest in like pop culture and sci-fi and fantasy with like my personal identity with like ethnicity and sexuality and gender and all the things that make up a person and social justice and like and racial justice and the things that I really care about politically like all of those things they come together so easily um yeah in, like a geeky identity yeah
0: yeah yeah no absolutely I'm interested because you're talking about how all these things and you like mentioned specific examples informed who you are today mm-hmm. and like sort of intersected not and and you mentioned like Wanting to be able to cast spells, <laughs> yeah, I still, which wish we that. all do,
1: like all the time, right? Right.
0: Yeah. Um, but uh, like, do you do you find like characters that have informed your politics or like how you think about the world or like books that have done that? Uh, yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah? Um, so this, I don't know. It like vacillated whether like it would be engaging to talk about this, but it was such an important book for me. But I mean, like I love Terry Pratchett, right? Like my whole family, like we like digest those books. And there are so many of them, right? Rest in peace, Terry. We love you. Thank you for all of the gifts that you have given the world. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, he has this book that he wrote called Jingo that mm-hmm. I read for the first time. when I was like, I want to say it was maybe like 12 or something, but it is a satire of war. Um, and just it's like, and and the thing about Terry Pratchett is like, he created this, like this universe Discworld, Right. And like right. he writes these humorous sci-fi fantasy novels and is, I would generally consider like he has a huge fan base around the world, but like he's not necessarily mainstream. Um,
0: Which is so weird. Like,
1: it is weird that more people don't read his books. Right. But I think it's because of the way that they're marketed. Um, and, like, the sort of protectiveness, right, that we were talking about before, I think it exists around his work, too. Um, but he writes uh, he writes this huge... Jingo is his, like, fattest book. It's so long. Um, and it is... It's absolutely brilliant, the way that he deconstructs how, like, the ridiculousness and also, like, the inevitability of a war. Like, he... he it's like, um... I think he wrote it around the time that um, like maybe the first Gulf War and like, and things um, in the Middle East really started to become like a perpetual conflict zone um, in a way that they had not previously. Um, And it's like all of these, uh, like the citizens of Ankh-Morpork, which is like a rough, facsimile for London, um, are like, you know, so energized to go off and fight this terror in the desert on the other side and clatch which is like a, you know, a sort of facsimile for the Middle East. And like there's all these like parallels and things with regular society, but it it constructs um everything through humor and is hilarious and extremely poignant and all kind of like a hidden away within this you know, super geeky thing, which mm-hmm. is Discworld, which is like, like when you talk about like nerdiness and like, it's, it, that's pretty up there, mm-hmm. I would say, Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's just so smart and so well done. Um, and I think it's, a it like reading that, um, and like being able to engage with it on my own, but also like with my family, um, and then like with other people that read the book, uh we were we all felt like we had been clued into this like incredible text that you could actually like you could reference you know like if you were trying to tell somebody about just like how absolutely absurd and destructive war is you could you could give them that book and it's it's not like soul destroying because you have that incredible like gift for humor that pratchett has in all of his novels but it's still i think the most incisive political commentary i've ever read Um, which, you know, like I read a lot of, like, political stuff, uh, and I generally enjoy it more when it intersects with humor, uh, but I don't always necessarily think that's better, (laughs) but in this case I do. And I was just, like, it's, it's really inspiring, um, and it kind of opens up, like, all the possibilities that you have when you, when you are, like, you know, skilled in world building, which a lot of fantasy authors are, um, to explore, you know, your own realm and, you know, all of, like, the political ramifications within that it's really
0: cool absolutely yeah. no I'm a, we're we're both big Pratchett fans yeah 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 we've got sorry I a-
1: had a mouthful of cider woo
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're recording this at my kitchen table yeah there's um,
1: cheese too you jealous
0: cheese and cookies mm. um, and our bookshelves are over in the corner and we have at least two like so there's three bookcases and, like, four shelves in each. Mm-hmm. And each... And I think there's at least two of the shelves that are just Pratchett. <laughs> yeah. Because
1: we've like, written, like, 50 books.
0: Right, right, right. And, uh, like, Discworld... I feel like Discworld has so much to say about so many really important things. Yes. Um, but, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I can see that being, like, a formative series. I didn't run into them until college, actually.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, no, like, Terry Pratchett, like, for better or worse, because there's, like, some, some sex things that I don't think I totally grasped when I was reading his books when I was little, because um, Jingle wasn't the first one I read. I think I read, like, my mom may have hidden um, the one about rock and roll from me. <laughs> Because the one with Susan where, she, where like they discover the guitar right, and, yes. in Discworld and then it gets like, sent back. I don't know. And like that's the other thing that I should actually point out that there are like, multiple occurrences of like the people of Discworld finding something like a gun, um, although they call it the gone, the G-O-N-N-E um, uh, and it not being meant for their universe. Um, like It was actually supposed to exist somewhere else. And right. that I think is such a brilliant storytelling technique to like introduce something that way because it makes you consider how how important it would be uh, or how important it is to think of like machines of war and guns as like as they should be alien to our society right mm-hmm. like they should not mm-hmm. they shouldn't exist right which is i think is kind of the point that he drives at in a lot of his work um Because you see the same thing in Jingo. Like, there's this brilliant inventor um, who, like, draws these machines of war but has no idea of their destructive potential. They're, like, doodles in the margins of his paper. They're, like, what could be but isn't in this particular universe. Um, She's, like, very cool. And, like, it's cool that somebody has that power. They've constructed a world so richly that they can imagine that guns don't exist there and one shows up by accident. Right, (laughs) right, right. Like, what a privilege and what what an interesting way to I don't know explore violence Mm -hmm. like the things that plague
0: us right absolutely I think that I think a lot of so so the thing that gets me about Pratchett is that some of the people I've met who are like the biggest Pratchett fans Mm. are deeply conservative and I don't know how that's so interesting right like Pratchett to me like for me reading Pratchett is such a it's such a liberal experience. Like, <laughs> like, like, there's these massive critiques of things like institutional racism, gun violence,
1: yeah. sexism. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I, just the list goes on Everything. and on and yeah. on and on, mm-hmm. and on, and and they're so fundamental to how the world his world works. Mm-hmm. So much built into the scenery. That I don't understand how you can come away with this world and not come away with them.
1: I actually I was thinking about this exact thing yesterday. Um, not related to Terry Pratchett, but I have a name for it. What is it? Um, I call it Mad Men syndrome, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> because I ran into this all the time as a huge fan of Mad Men, um, and this kind of relates. I'll circle back to this, but like when I was talking earlier about how social justice politics intersect so nicely with a lot of like sci-fi and like geekdom. Mm-hmm. Um, And I wish more people would engage with it that way Uh, when I was watching Mad Men I was like this is such an incredible deconstruction of like the failed male identity of America right like Don Draper is such a failure and like how cool to just like watch his trajectory as he just dissolves as a person and is there for you know like in some ways like an allegory or like manifestation of like the failed dream of the American male like very Willy Loman like you know that sort of thing um but then my guy friends would watch it, and they would be like, "I want to be just like Don Draper. He's so cool." But like, what were they seeing? They were seeing like his nice suits, the fact that he got to like fuck a bunch of women. Um, He's drinking at the job. Like, ooh, bourbon, exciting. Um, <laughs> like, which, like, I love bourbon, but like, don't drink at the job. Don't like. Right. The sixties. Right. They didn't know as much as we do now about like your liver and your lungs. So like, anyway, um, <laughs> tangent. Um, <laughs> but like, that's why I call it Mad Men syndrome. Like somebody who isn't engaged socially um, and critically maybe or like at least they they see and I'm just I'm okay well I'll just like speak it cuz this is the advice I was giving you about humans and stuff but like when my white male friends would watch this show they saw the things that they wanted to see as positive about being like you know heteromasculine right uh-huh. and like typically Dominant and they wanted to feed into that and see that reflected back as like if I wear a suit and like drink whiskey and fuck a bunch of women, then like I am maintaining power in the same way like Don is when he gives a presentation or something. And I see that in so much of things, right? Like it's in something like Game of Thrones or or Terry Pratchett, right? Like in those novels, like, oh, it would be so cool to be like Sam fimes because he's this hard, grizzled cop and like he doesn't take shit. But like that's not the most interesting part of that character
0: right i mean right? i feel like i feel like saying it would be so cool to sam to be sam vimes would one get you a stern talking to from sam vimes yeah you'd be and, like, Fuck that. right and, and and then also too like you deal with the alcoholism that comes with that you deal with like the 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 Occasional breakdown of social norms around you—the fact that you don't really know what's going on all the time—you're just going to yeah. continue. Like, and
1: also, like when in in later books when he you know explores the the um, the uh, which dark is it the unseen dark with uh,
0: following hell, dark the, the following dark the something we'll fix it in one most.
1: of the. T- <laughs> Anyway, there's this ancient <laughs> evil dwarf magic right. um, that, like, becomes a part of him. And I think that in these really smart constructions of male identity that are asking men to, like, to see both the exciting, powerful things about them, but also the deep flaws and weaknesses, mm-hmm. like, a viewer that isn't necessarily as engaged with racial and social justice or hasn't had to live with that identity placed on them Mm -hmm. is not going to engage with that part even if the writers imbue the character with that and that to me is really frustrating and I call it mad medicine
0: (laughs) (laughs) and I was reading I was actually reading an article about this and Fight Club recently have you seen Fight Club
1: I had sex through Fight Club but I didn't watch it
0: I'm just gonna use fight club because fight loves the example i know best i know how it like i know right. what you know it's about. you know yeah. what it's about i feel like, like I already knows what it's right about. yeah i mean yeah um so the thing about fight club is <laughs> right that you can watch it in two ways mm-hmm. the way it's meant and the way it's written which is that tyler durden is e- evil nuts not running an actual revolution using these people to achieve his own ends Mm -hmm. um or you can do the surface level reading because you in order to get to that to that level of reading you have to like engage with the movie on an academic level you have Mm -hmm. to be like okay but wait that's not how it's actually working what he's talking about as far as what Fight Club means and what it does is something that he's using to manipulate these people, not something that he's actually about. Mm -hmm. You have to, like, notice that and internalize it and see it through to the end. Mm -hmm. The much easier reading is that Tyler Durden is, like, a revolutionary who's leading all these men to overthrow the system and Yeah, fuck those guys. We're awesome. Everything explodes at the end. Like... Sure, yeah. It it doesn't get all of the meat out of the piece. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But some... But if... If your piece is open to being that badly misunderstood, how (laughs) well have you done it?
1: Oh. Well, I don't know how I feel about that.
0: Um, I'm not sure how I feel about it either. It's just...
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a valid question. Uh... But I also think that, like, it, it gets you into murky waters, right? Because I feel like in some ways I am, like, with my, like, cutesy little, like, mad men syndrome thing, like, accusing people of misinterpretation, which isn't necessarily true. That's just putting your experience on the narrative. Mm. I just happen to believe that, and, like, fight me on this if you want, but, like, women of color and our experience gives us a perspective that is in some ways that it just allows for like a removal from like the kind of like basic stuff which sounds so highbrow like I understand like this could be bullshit Um, but like I don't need to enter into watching Fight Club with like Oh how cool these dudes are fighting! I should start a fight club so I can fight dudes. Like, that's not like nobody's ever asked me to prove my masculinity that way or like, or project that onto something because I feel like that's how I need to be. Uh Which happens to a lot of people, right? Like when you like if you're watching something or reading something and you and there is this male character or a character. That most closely resembles what you believe to be like the masculine ideal or what you see and want to be and like the ideal you, then you're going to try and like, and empathize with them and hold them up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's so easy when you're not represented in any of those narratives to critically engage with it because like, what else, what the fuck else are you supposed to do? Like I'm just supposed to wait around until some biracial Indian woman shows up and stars and everything. That's not <laughs> happening. Um, so, right. so like, I, I think in some ways I just have more space to like be distant from work and like, and, and put in the politics that I have like, uh, um, like privilege in a way. Right. And like, and that could be boring for someone that could be something that they don't Think is necessary for the enjoyment of the work, or just doesn't even speak to them at all, right? Sure. So, like, sure. I, 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 guess I, I, should be more careful in being like, well, I can totally understand why you would watch this and be like, this is badass, like, I love this, um, but I guess I don't know. I don't have any patience for that, so sorry.
0: <laughs> um, but go back, go back a little bit because, because sure. you, you use the phrase like, put in my politics Mm -hmm. or like lay my politics on top. Yeah. Do you think that you're adding something to the piece or are you like taking something away that's already there, but other people might not have access to?
1: I would like totally say that that depends on the work. Sure. Um, Like I am totally convinced that Matthew Weiner, uh, in making mad men. And like, I think I'm supported in this by like the, the overarching narrative of the show. Uh, was like making a trajectory of like failure for um, Don Draper and what he represents, mm-hmm. um, but like that might not necessarily be true of like if you're trying to do like some sort of discursive deconstruction of like I don't know. Die Hard, right? Like, you're going to be really grasping for shit that's not there. Like, it's an action movie. And I think that it's important to be able to, like, step back from that critical lens and, like, just enjoy something sometimes, right? Sure. Like, sometimes a movie is just a movie. Like, it's not that deep. I I subscribe to that philosophy as well, but... A lot of times I get frustrated by things that... By shows and stories and, like, pieces of pop culture that are trying to do something more that then get reduced.
0: Right. um, Absolutely. To
1: what white males think is important.
0: Mm -hmm. I feel like... One, I think... I I find it's really funny that you use Die Hard because I think that Die Hard (laughs) is one of the most deep and, like, meaty action movies out there. Oh, my God. I... I, I mean, this Die might Hard. be a bad
1: example. No, 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 it's no, no, like, no.
0: It's, it's a good example. I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Like, this is just my... But Die Hard's great. Line. I mean, Die
1: Hard is great. Yeah. Like, what
0: a great Christmas movie. It's true. I watch it every year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um,
1: You know what is a good example, I think, are the Christopher Nolan Batman movies are actually just great action movies that are a little self-serious right and like really don't they are not that deep like i mean like like they're just not um yeah it's actually this really good video about how the joker is like the ultimate um antagonist which i don't know that i agree with but like was an interesting video right um but yeah because they're like dark and everything and like superhero movies have now kind of been modeled off of them to the point of like caricature <laughs> but,
0: i i i have a lot of feelings about like super grim dark gritty superheroes yeah yeah. and how they're not they're not doing us any favors no like, i totally agree cool for a second in the 80s mm-hmm. before i was born dear listener um <laughs> and it hasn't really been since and we've just sort of like la- laid on it so hard yeah that it's just a caricature of itself.
1: No? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think Nolan's movies are like the prototypical masculine ideal. And like they are not, they don't go beyond the service level there at all. Like maybe there's some stuff about like what it means to be a hero, but not really. And like Christian Bale and his silly voice, like if you really go back and you're like really, like it's silly. <laughs> it is, it is. And
0: there's a lot of, and then like there's all of the, all of the points that they, like the stuff they're trying to do with the Joker and the mm. stuff they're doing with Bane, the stuff they're doing with Ra's Al Ghul.
1: Yeah, I mean Bane was really goofy. Like, oh God! God. <laughs> I
0: just, I just like. <laughs> comic books have done it better first, and with characters that don't have this level of like not. It's just like, like you. Th- there's some great stuff out there with the Joker. There's some great stuff out there with all of these characters. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that, but like. I just feel like it was such a surface-level reading.
1: Oh, I totally agree. That's why I think it's such a good example of not needing to interpret it through any kind of lens. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to engage with Batman.
0: Everything is right there on the surface that they're trying to say to you. Totally. Uh, The movie that I was trying to think of that Uh I think is doing something a lot deeper than... And maybe not doing it well. This is probably a really good example of something that's trying to make a really good point and not making it well enough for people to walk away with it. Yeah. Sucker Punch.
1: Oh, yeah. I remember Sucker Punch.
0: I really liked Sucker Punch. Like, I went to the Mm. movie theater and came out of Sucker Punch going, like, this is about the objectification of women. This is about, like, taking women's ability away from them this is about like how they get their powers taken away through the act of being used as viewing items yeah and like i would have had like a a, like a paper worth of conversation (laughs) about like the merits of sucker punch at the time Mm -hmm. and i came out expecting other people to have the same reaction and it's just not there no like everybody was just like this was pretty and useless
1: I I think I'm somewhere in between. The thing about Sucker Punch for me mm. um, that fits into this conversation is that I felt like it was a very male interpretation of what feminism is. Sure. Do you remember, have you ever read any Kate Beaton comics?
0: Yeah, I've read some.
1: And she, she has this really great... Um, satire of female superheroes that's like they're all like they're like basically just like running around and they're like we're empowered and like our tits are out and like our asses are like in the camera and like everything is so great Um, which, like, there, you know, like, if, if we're going super third wave about it, or, like, a particular version of third wave represented by, like, Amber Rose and, like, right. Kim K or whatever, then, like, yes, tips out, guns out, whatever. But, like, but it is through this, like, male gaze. And that's how I felt for all of Sucker Punch, where, like, Emily Browning is, like, you in her, like, blonde wig with the little schoolgirl uniform. And then, right. like, has a forced lobotomy at the end. Like, you're, right. there are ways that you could talk about, agency and like women and and use women as superheroes and women as warriors but i think a lot of times there's a disconnect between women as warriors and women as people sure um because like when you're when and especially when like a male director is putting them in teensy tiny little outfits and then being like but they're empowered because they have this sword and they killed somebody (laughs) like that's still a patriarchal environment Sure. To me. Sure,
0: absolutely. And so, like,
1: I left Sucker Punch feeling vaguely unfulfilled just because I thought that the narrative wasn't really saying a lot about the actual experience of being a woman and having your agency taken away. It was more about how that can be viewed in such a way that it's, um, like, that it can be consumed by men,
0: mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, yeah. it really does. Yeah. On the subject, and you—you you wrote this. You wrote this, so what you, did knew, I, you knew you knew I was going to bring this up. Oh God, I don't know. So what on the subject of like feminism for male consumption,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like problematic faves. Oh my God. Talk to me about Buffy.
1: Buffy! Oh, I was really worried that we would talk about Buffy because we'll fight.
0: It's I don't I don't think that we'll fight. That
1: was the only time we really it was like two seconds long, but we had a fight about Xander Harris. Do you remember
0: this? I mean, I like Xander and you don't. And that's and that's fun. Not that
1: I don't like Xander. I hate Xander. <laughs> <laughs> and I should have like prepared a dossier of all of the disgusting ways that he has ruined episodes of Buffy for me. Um, so like (sighs) Xander for me is a really yeah like it's a sore point because I don't even know like I'm so blinded by hatred that I don't know that I can even like objectively assess why I think Xander is so bad for like Joss Whedon's feminism and like it it, it just escapes me that people still defend like his character Um, like on one level I understand Xander's purpose in the Buffy universe. He is the average dude. There's nothing special about him, but his, like, his sort of, like, uniqueness and importance to the story comes from the fact that he is, like, this super loyal friend and he's willing to, like, go in and fight and, like, like be, like, a part of the team, even though there is... He has no special abilities and, like... Any other person would be like, I'm good. Like, I will watch the magic shop. Y'all go kick some ass. Like, I'll be right here. Uh, But to me, like, a lot of his loyalty comes from, like, just, uh, okay, okay, okay. So I knew this was going to happen. I was just going to, like, fall to pieces trying to discuss why I dislike Xander. So that is one interpretation of him that I understand but disagree with. Because, like, I can absolutely see how somebody could watch Buffy and be like, wow, Xander is this incredible friend. Like, he rushes into danger without a second thought in order to protect the people he loves. Even though he doesn't have anything close to, like, the magical abilities of his other friends. And he has to deal with the fact that he is ordinary in the supernatural world. And so, like, that's all makes for, like, um, you know, a very compelling case for the the character. So I've made that point. (laughs) Very well. Moving forward into why I hate him. <laughs> he is, wait, what kind of friend do you want that is so obsessed with your sex life that he almost kills someone? Like repeat, oh my God, it's terrifying. Nobody should be like, like, okay. Cause he says, right, that he does all of this shit for Buffy out of friendship and concern, and everybody's like, oh, it's because Sandra was attacked by a vampire, so, like, that's why he's so weird. It's not. It's because he wants to have sex with Buffy, and he never gets to have sex with Buffy, and so he's so butthurt about it all the time that he sends her off to kill the love of her life without telling her that he got his soul back, right? It's like, further traumatizing his poor friend, being super selfish about it in the meantime when she comes back from running away and being like all of her like Willow and him were both really shitty about it right like everybody was um I think I'm in the minority and like always taking Buffy's side (laughs) everybody else is like stop whining Buffy and I'm like do you understand how much pressure she's under um do you see what you did by asking me about this shouldn't have talked about this um and then like when he finds out that she's been with Spike his concern is not for, like, why his friend was feeling so depressed that she turned to this person that she proclaims to hate, right? For, like, her only source of comfort and normalcy. And, like, all of the all of the real concern he should have for, like, the, like, vaguely abusive relationship that are, like, super unhealthy, to say the least, oh, yeah. between Buffy and Spike. It's all, oh, you fucked a monster. Like, uh, it's so simplistic and it's all about his own dick, which is gross. Also... Ew! He's, like, obsessed with fucking Buffy, so, like, he can't have Buffy, so he goes for her whiny younger sister, Dawn? That is disgusting. Okay? Like, and, like, I, I, whatever, like, I didn't read the comic books after the series ended. Like, I just watched it until it was done, and I, like, grit my teeth through the last season because it's so bad. But... But that, like, all of that, like, sort of, like, psychosexual relationship that he has where he places all of this pressure on Buffy just because he's thinking with his penis instead of his brain is disgusting to me. Besides the fact that he manipulates Willow all the time, right? Um, And they have this, like, you know, just like weird. We also like, there's also like sexual undertones to their relationship. And the fact that he has no qualms about all of the demons and like monsters and like bug ladies that he's fucked, but is willing to be so angry and like, and dismissive of his friends. I feel like that's, and uh, that's like, whatever, like the supernatural equivalent of slut shaming. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, and you know I mean I think he's like he's another example of a character that is so destructive because he is so bothered by his own frailty. He's like he has this very conservative view of how he should be as a man. Plus his like his reasons for leaving Anya are so weak like whatever she was perfect for you you're a dick. Um, <sighs> Xander Harris. He just his relationship and his like interpretation of like women and how women should like be and act I think is like super misogynistic and it actually in a lot of ways although Joss Whedon like there's a lot of reasons to praise him as like in some ways a pioneer of feminism in his work Xander is also like an extension of like who he feels that he is I think right like a lot of people say that like Xander is like the 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 Joss Whedoniest character, which of, there is always one in like every Joss Whedon sure, thing, absolutely. Um, and sometimes they're allowed to be great because they're only like eight episodes, like Wash. But <laughs> <laughs> <I> <laughs> wash. Uh But but like it's it's like his impotency and like his his I don't know, like sort of like um, projection of of like stereotypical. Like, the stereotypical geek fandom that we were talking about at the beginning of this episode is Xander to me. Like, this super judgy, just, like, very controlling, sexist guy. And I feel he, I, he's just, he, he's a good character, okay? Like, I think the series would not be good without him, mm-hmm. but, like, as a person, would I want to be friends with Xander <laughs> Harris? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I feel. <laughs>
0: No, that that that's that's a lot of feelings. Yeah, but I don't disagree with any of them. Oh, okay. like that's I feel like most of the Joss Whedon characters I can think of, even the ones that are supposed to be really feminist, mm-hmm. have some like major damning flaw hmm. that make me hesitate to call them feminist. Hmm. Like even even Buffy, who is like this warrior woman. Yeah. Right? Is... And, like, young girl taking her power um, is still, like, super dependent on the men in her life yeah. for a good chunk of the series.
1: Which I actually doesn't think makes makes her, like, an anti-feminist character. Right. Um, I actually just read this really, like, horrible article about Stranger Things that was like, five reasons why Stranger Things is not a feminist show. And it was like, it's just, like, so like, I don't know, like, black and white, right? Like, this is what feminism is, and this is what it's not. So I actually don't... Like, a lot of the reason that I love Buffy so much is that he did, I think, really effectively make a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of, like, straight teenage girls, boys are really important. Like, And, like, for me, like, her flaw as a character in that she's always attracted, right, to the demonic element that she's, you know, technically like a, a prophecy to be slaying and ad infinitum until she dies. Um, right. Right. <laughs> like that, I thought that was a really great, um, kind of feminist interpretation because like, I feel a lot of women, you know, um, no matter how strong of a feminist you feel you are, like how strong your feminist politics are, are still going to like, you know, fuck the bad guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I think, um, are a bad girl, you know? Um, Kennedy, just kidding.
0: I, and that, uh, that's,
1: uh, that's not bad, but she's bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but I don't, I don't think that that makes Buffy like anti-feminism, right? Because sure. she sleeps with a bad man, or like a bad, like, or like she relies on Angel in some ways, and he like protects her. I think that that just it makes her more complex as a mm-hmm. character. That she explores that darker side, and she does have these like very, you know, interesting explorations of self throughout the series. I mean, like, she dies. She dies twice. She, like, claws out of her own grave. Um, And so, like, is this dark person as well. So, like, I thought that... That's why Buffy, I usually stand for the hardest in the series, because I actually think he did the best job of developing her, um, as opposed to the other women in the series. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. She feels more real to me.
0: I can see that. I can see... I think... So, Lauren's watching through Buffy for the first time Aww. right Oh, merry bonding um, activity and like re-watching it I feel like a lo- I had a lot of problems with Buffy my first time around that I had with like Ariel when I first watched Little Mermaid <laughs> Well, and, and I mean, I
1: still hate Ariel. I'm well, like, but... dude,
0: you're a mermaid. Stay in the sea. It's well, so awesome. <laughs> like, rewatching it, I'm just like, oh, no, you're just really 17, aren't you? Oh, yeah. She's you're a just
1: teenager.
0: really 17. For sure, for sure. Both of them. And, like, I don't know. I think this is something that I, like, try to be aware of and, and work on is that society is so against things that young girls like.
1: Oh, totally. Young
0: girls liking things. Hmm. Um, or, like, just just a young girl who is liking things. Hmm. Um, how
1: dare she.
0: Right, how dare she. <laughs> uh, this is stupid. Also, she's ruining things for everybody else. Like, and I think re-watching Buffy, like, I'm, I'm getting more, like... more sympathetic.
1: Yeah, no, I would right. totally encourage you to follow that because like <laughs> I actually I didn't watch the whole series until um like just a couple years ago, right? Like after I'd already been through like all of Oh, sure. Yeah. Um and so I feel like I did. I had a lot of empathy for the decisions she was making because I had a little bit of perspective on them. Uh-huh. Um but also when you like reduce the show down to its essence, she was like a 15-year-old girl who was told that she was no longer allowed to live the life that she'd built for herself. Mm-hmm. And all the things that she thought were important were no longer important and couldn't be because she has to fight an ever-present and incredibly dangerous evil for the right. rest of her life until she dies. Right. <laughs> so when you like actually like take it out of its like super campy, fun um, atmosphere like that... Like, responsibility on someone that's that young? Like, how could you not feel bad for
0: her? Right. No, once you get to... Like, I had had problems with Buffy in Season 7 the first time around.
1: Well, Season 7.
0: Right. Well, and also, I feel like the show is telling you to have problems with Buffy in Season 7. Like, there are a lot of, like, her giving speeches and cutting away to other people. Yeah. But, like, how do you not get to that point? Like, how do you fight this fight, get put in charge of what's basically an army?
1: Yeah. And also have the lamest villain to fight. Oh my gosh! Definitely should have been a one episode villain, Whedon. If you ever listen to this, big mistake. Sorry. (laughs) If
0: we if we start finger pointing at Buffy and lame villains, we will be here for a while.
1: Okay, but like the first evil, like one off, great episode, very interesting. To bring it back for a full season, like you can really see where the wheels came off the wagon. sure you know, sure <laughs> definitely over it definitely not still mad yeah
0: <laughs> well it was like what two seasons ago two two years ago for you yeah um so fresh. but there are also like really great mo- like so lauren was watching buff is watching buffy turns it on occasionally in the evening. And the last time she was here, we had, like, a guest over, Mm -hmm. and, like, we were doing things in the kitchen, and she was just turning it on, and I look at the screen, and I'm like, no. (laughs) Turn it off. Watch this at a time when you can give it your attention, because it's the episode where Joyce dies.
1: Oh, yeah. You need to be, like, alone in a quiet room.
0: I've never made it through that episode. Are you
1: kidding? I love that episode. Like,
0: I watched the first 40 I don't know how how long is it first 20 minutes of it and was just like
1: 45
0: minute episode yeah no
1: I'm gonna I'm good
0: (laughs) so she's dead right okay oh
1: no look even if you don't like Buffy you should watch the episode the body because it's a crash course in like Incredible television, like what you can do with a TV episode, like that. Like for me, is just like it's so, it's so well done. Like if if it's if it hurts to watch Joyce, which like let's face it, it does.
0: Right. Um, just
1: watch it like with that critical distance where you can just be like, look at what a good job they did. Because <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. So good.
0: Yeah. No, that makes that makes total sense actually. Yeah. I and I do that need is to, my re-watch advice it. to
1: you. Yeah. The body. Ah. <laughs> what a moment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um you keep talking about stranger things and being like, I read this thing about Str- Do you want to actually like mention stranger do you want to like share your feels?
1: I just I feel like I don't have anything to add. Like that I added it into the questionnaire as like a joke because there is so much great stuff on stranger things that people are talking about. Um, right. that I almost feel like it's superfluous to like geek out over it for a second. I'll sure. like, oh my God, so good.
0: <laughs> well, I guess I was interested in like your your incredibly strong reaction to <laughs> Xander. yeah, and like, uh, the, the boyfriend from Stranger Things. Not Steve? the actual boyfriend.
1: Jonathan.
0: The one who's not the photographer. Steve. Steve. <laughs> um, and like, because I have... I, I'm looking forward to season two. Because I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that character.
1: Oh, yeah. And
0: like, where they go with that. Because right now, like, it, he's he feels like a real person. In that he's a fucker, um, <laughs> and like yeah, a seven, 16, 17 year old boy, yeah. Um, so like I understand where his emotions are coming from and why he's doing things he's doing, but he still does some pretty indefensible shit and ends up with the girl.
1: I have a great argument for this, okay? Yeah, um, so let's bring it back to Xander for a second, right? We wanted to connect the two. So if Xander had stayed 17 for this, the entirety of Buffy, like if they all just like stayed in high school as one does in like Glee, for example. Um,
0: Glee ages. Glee I age.
1: I only saw like two seasons. I don't know what happens. But.
0: It's year by year. Oh, but, okay. but if they had stayed the same age forever. Okay. So
1: like something, I don't know, like Boy Meets World where everybody's like perpetually in high school for like a really, really long time. Like sure. if they drawn it out that way, fine. Xander's actions, like, definitely a teenage boy, always thinking with his dick, hormones, like, whoa, well, like, okay, whatever, Xander. We watch him grow into, like, a full-grown man who is still so obsessed with his uh, other adult woman friend, Buffy's sex life, that he, like, has to go off in a huff after he learns that she, oh my god, had sex with someone. Like, okay, like, it's 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 insane and creepy and disgusting. Um, right, Stranger Things, and Steve in particular, one of the reasons that I loved that ending is because being a teenager is absolutely brutal. And I think the show does a really good job. Like at first, right, like I was right along with everybody else. Like, okay, so we're watching Nancy and Steve and Jonathan do something again. Uh, When are the kids coming back? When is Eleven coming back? Where is the monster? Where is Winona Ryder? I'm so bored. Uh, but, like, on a rewatch, obviously, um, so embarrassing. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I think it's, like, one of the best teenage stories that feels really real to me. That, okay, spoiler
0: alert. Uh, no, we've spoiled it. I'll, I'll put a spoiler alert at the beginning.
1: Great. Um, but uh, that Nancy ends up back with Steve, who actually... Like, only really slightly redeems himself towards the end of the season, right? It makes so much sense, and I was reading an interview with the the Duffer brothers, the guys who wrote the show, and and they changed the trajectory of Steve's character, right? Like initially, he was supposed to be straight up douche the whole way through, and then they loved the actor so much and found like this sort of redeeming charisma in him. They were like, let's you know, like let's see if we can have Steve stick around, right? Because it just seems like so much in those early episodes, like he's gonna, like either you know, fingers crossed, die by hand of like flower face monster yeah. thing. Um, or you know just like fade away and then Jonathan and Nancy like trial la. a but like but I thought it made so much more sense to me and it was so much more realistic because when you actually look at it Jonathan or like Steve is someone that Nancy a teenage girl has like idealized for so long right like he's her dream guy he's like this popular dude he has 80s hair like whatever like she is happy with him and like she and she like you know like obviously has really strong romantic attraction to him and like Jonathan comes in and interrupts that right and there definitely there is something between them but like he's not indefensible he took, no, that's true. He took, like, pictures of her when she was naked. Like, that's creepy. Yes. Um, and, like, de- like, definitely like, something to give anybody pause, but at the end of the day, they're all teenagers, and, like, when you're looking at the rest of Stranger Things, where, like, even these children are, like, thinking so clearly, right? It, like, if it was just the teens and, like, all their hormones that were in charge of, like, dispatching the monster and saving Will, Will would have died! Like, they just <laughs> can't get it together because that is exactly what it is like when you are that age, right? There's so much like Insanity around like who is kissing who and like when do I get to have sex and like stop feeling this way that like that to me felt so real and like resonated so hard and I I loved how realistic that ending was for me like it just rang absolutely true that her and Steve the like good guy like who like oh like he was just really mad when he destroyed your camera but look he like defended me from the monster with this baseball bat like and like that's sort of reducing Nancy in a way that's not fair for comedic purposes but um But, yeah, I just, like, they're teens. Right. That whole, like, that is, like, that is just so accurate. I loved that. I loved that. And I loved that the show gave it gravity and, like, and a real story for Mm -hmm. all of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: And, like, and and gave them importance, just as they did with the younger kids, who I also thought, like, they, like, just brilliantly showed, like, really important realizations that kids have. Yeah. Um, Like, whether you're a teenage kid or a kid-kid.
0: Okay, no, I stand correct. That, that, yes. Well, not necessarily That's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No, I totally...
1: Yeah, I actually think it's great that, like, the actor convinced them to let him stick around and, like, have right. his character be redeemed
0: and, right. like, and,
1: like, be there for season two. I want to see what happens with Steve and Nancy and, like, obviously, being, you know, the nerd that I am, like, I'm kind of the Jonathan, I would be like, oh, well...
0: I'm, I'm really excited for season season two. I'm also really worried. Yeah. Because I just there's a couple of things in that last episode.
1: Like what? Tell me more. Will. Oh, poor baby Will. Poor baby Will,
0: (laughs) who is incubating a monster. Maybe I mean. Probably. Like probably. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Like the, the thing was not eating them; it was taking them home and planting itself in them. Or planting the in them. Yeah. Like, it just.
1: Well, but focus those eggs in the world, too. And right,
0: like, right, right, right. But sci fi like... tropes suggest.
1: Sure, okay. That,
0: yes. like. Because th- you're, you're right. There's the egg, which I'm yeah. fairly sure is what Flower Face Dude came from. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then there's this. The stuff that comes with it and from it. The, yeah. the growth, yeah. right? That's uh-huh. covered this other world.
1: Uh huh, that's it.
0: Right, the Upside Down. Um, I really love this show. <laughs> and like the the slugs that are in and around the body that we see.
1: Oh, yeah, Barb.
0: Uh, I miss Barb already. I, mm. I really wanted Barb to be a bigger character. Me too. Um, I think everybody did. Yeah. But like when we see Will in those last few minutes, like spoilers for everything, guys. In those last few minutes... And he's, like, cough, like obviously still ill, coughing up yeah. something that looks like mm-hmm. a slug. Like, that... Just kids as trajectories for evil. Huh. And, like... The dudes had enough bad shit happen to him.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, poor, like, baby William. Like, who will protect the children? But I actually really liked it, um... Because... It felt like uh like to wrap this the first season up. Like and the the Daffer brothers also said that there's so much that they didn't explore, right? Like we really don't know anything about the Upside Down. Sure. Um, and they're looking forward because they have all of this rich story. Sure. Um that they they can then transpose into season two and just do like a larger exploration of um, but the reason I liked that, like, not everything was okay with Will, like, we all want him to be safe because they cast a, like, cutest kid, like, oh my god. Right. Like, this tiny little baby. Um, but also, it felt like a sci-fi interpretation of PTSD, which he totally would have. have from yeah. From such okay, a traumatic sure. experience, which, like obviously it's, it's sci-fi so like it manifests as him like coughing up a slug and like you know potentially incubating an alien but like it makes sense that the experience literally in this interpretation stayed with him in a very right. painful way that he is having a hard time expressing to other people that didn't experience it like Jonathan his brother and his mom right um, so I don't know for me like what I what I think really resonated for me with Stranger Things and maybe this is because I'm like you know, very cynical. My boss called me Debbie Doomsday the other day, but, um, (laughs) it was just that like, it has all of those, like, you know, those elements and homages to, um, to like, uh, kids adventure movies and like, uh, kid centered narratives from like the eighties and nineties and stuff. Um, and like Spielberg and all that, all those references, but it very much puts it in, uh, the position of, like, the kind of golden age of television we have today with these narratives that are engaging on really kind of gritty levels. Like, it, it gives it that grit and right. that, real, that, like, really icky reality that, like, we don't necessarily want to contend with, but I think makes a much stronger narrative.
0: Sure. Yeah. Sure. No, I get that. Yeah. I really love Stranger Things. And I think it's for a... Mm-hmm. Like, I think it is because of that, like, ability to take... Genre, and I think it does a lot of different genres. Mm-hmm. Like the point I read about how each of the main storylines is operating within the rules of a different genre. Yeah, until they all meet up together and can yeah. actually beat the monster.
1: Oh, that's so cool! Right, yeah, that's, that's so real. Yeah. Right,
0: and it's super cool. Like, like uh, the kids are in like a Breakfast Club sort of like the teens are in this Breakfast Club sort of like yeah, like social yeah, like, thing, and the kids are in something like the Goonies. Oh, for and sure. And yeah. the parents are in this like. X-Files-esque, like, government conspiracy oh my god, movie. Oh I love
1: that. Yeah, that's right. so... That's great. I right. was, like, looking at all of the, like, genre references together, but splitting them up into... Uh, oh my god, that's so great. I love that.
0: Right, no, I think that's really cool. Um, and, But I, it takes all of those genres that we grew up with, grew up near, mm-hmm. um, and does, I feel like, interpret them into a new sort of, like, more modern context that we're more used to grappling Mm -hmm.
1: with. Yeah, and it, like, and it gives agency to tropes, right? Like, I think a lot of people have talked about how Winona Ryder is in one way playing the, like, classic 80s mom who has to do, like, whatever to find her kid, but in the 80s she wasn't really given any room as a character. Right. Um... And in Stranger Things, she's she's really given some, like, beautiful depth, A, by Winona Ryder, who is, like, a phenomenal actress that I think people don't give credit to because, like, as a woman, she was disparaged for her meltdown, where many men have been praised for theirs, whatever. Um, uh, but, like, the writers, they also took the time to, like, explore the 80s mom, right? And, right. Like, and, like, write for her what she should have always been. Yeah. Which is really nice.
0: Yeah. Is there anything that we you want? I mean, we've covered a lot. We've yeah, a lot. you're gonna
1: have to edit the crap out of this. Uh,
0: um, <laughs> is there anything that you wanted to touch on that? Because like you, are like here, you're like the apocalypse. Perfect television, cultural policy.
1: <laughs> are you reading off my interest? This is so embarrassing. <laughs> Buying
0: a goat farm.
1: Oh well, yeah.
0: Is, is I mean, there like anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on? Or I
1: we've talked about so much and it's It's just been such a joy because I feel like most of the time there just isn't room in the day to sit down and be like, let's talk about all of the wonderful like pop culture that we individually love. But like if we're not on message boards and like chat rooms and stuff, which I tend to gravitate away from, I just feel like uh, I personally don't seek out opportunities to engage with other people about this stuff I just like you know read Game of
0: Thrones recaps until my eyes fall out. That, it's like time to go to bed. Um, like, but I think, I think it's this sort of conversation. Like, you're yeah. you're several times over the course of the conversation, you've been like, I don't do the internet. I, I'm not a part of fandom. Yeah. But that's not the only place that geek happens. Right? Oh, for sure. Like, like I f- I, f- I feel like this sort of conversation at a kitchen table. Or you and hanging out with your parent, with your mom and your sister. Mm-hmm. Like, that is way more fundamentally geek
1: mm.
0: and, like, importantly geek <laughs> than going to a con. Like, for me. For me. Because some people, like, con culture is a big thing. Um, and it's how they do the thing that they do and what they love. Yeah. But, like, I feel like for me it's always been about, like... This sort of conversation. <laughs> I think we're good. You good?
1: Yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed doing that.
0: Leela is just like a hundred percent awesome person. Delight to talk to all the time. And I feel like she's also, this in, the interview manages to touch on like everything we're trying to do here, honestly. Um, I'm just really lucky that we could get her to come talk. But what else? Let's see. It's November, which means that NaNoWriMo is happening for all you poor souls out there. Uh, and concurrently, there's something called Comment November. You might have seen this on the Tumblr's. It runs concurrent, and its whole idea is that it, I know you're out there reading fan, fanfic, fanworks, looking at all the arts. The whole idea is just leave comments this month. If you see something that you like, if you're really interested in something, if you have an old favorite that you go back to time and time and time again, comment on it. Tell them that you love them and that they're adding something. I was around back in the old days of the Pit of Voles, also known as fanfic.net, which was the the only venue for fanfic back at the time. And as those of you from those days know, writers survive on comments it is their one nourishment so feed your favorite writer today folks thank you for listening this is marginally geek uh, you can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Facebook, by that name, hit us up. The artistic producer and host is me, I'm Luke Babb. Um, executive producer is Lauren Yarbrough. Theme song is written by Ronan Cohn. Z can be found at patreon.com slash mass music, as well as facebook.com slash here. Our logo and all of our art is, was created by Mike Miller. You can find him at MikeMiller.co. All these links will also be in our little website. Um, and then Marginally Geek is produced by Fake Geek Girl Productions. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next time.
1: Presented by Fake Geek Girl Productions. Gracing the internet with gynocentric geek comedy since 2015. For more hilarity, Find us on social media at FGGPeeps and visit FGGPeeps.com.